right, good morning. Good morning. Uh, go ahead and get your Bibles open and turn them on. Some of your Bibles need batteries because they're insufficient and, and just deficient in every way. But if that's what you've got, then turn them on um, and turn to John, 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter 1. And we will uh, read from verse 5 through to the end of the chapter, which is only 10 verses long. I'm stalling because I can't find 1 John. <laughs> We're going to read verse 5, and then verse 6, and then verse 7, and then there we go. Got it. Um, uh, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Jesus, we believe that we have received the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Um, we have seen your goodness. We've seen and heard and our hands have handled the word of life. And Lord, we're... We're not calling you a liar. We're, we're first in line to admit that we have sin and only you can deal with it. We, we know, Lord, that we are darkness without your light. And so we pray as we've prayed before. We, we ask that this prayer would be repeated in our hearts as we study your word. Uh, more light, Lord. Illuminate our darkened hearts. We pray as Paul prayed for the church that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding and that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth just as has been promised. Lord, we thank you that in you we have an advocate. We thank you that your justice and your faithfulness are seen in how you forgive sins. God, all our hope is in this fact. All our, all our hope is in this fact that you, Lord, justify the ungodly, and that's us. So we're coming to you, the forgiver of our sins, the lover of our souls, to tend to us. Help us. We need you every hour. Bless our understanding of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First John, uh, a little bit of review for you. We're only one weekend, so it's not going to be a long review. Um, but in the first four verses, which we studied last week, um, John established his credibility. He said, yes, I've really seen Jesus. I've really touched him. I really heard him. And we were best friends. We spent uh, most of last week considering John's qualification. That he was a changed man. He went from an impulsive, arrogant, glory-hungry kid to the saint that we hear in this letter saying over and over again, love one another. In the book of Acts, the apostles, John included, of course, were doing amazing things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church was growing by thousands, thousands a day. 
And the leaders of Israel were confused. This is weird. This is strange. And, and they were astonished at the kind of things they were hearing from people like Peter and John. And then they figured out the secret. These men had been with Jesus. I'll read you a verse from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that's right, this guy, this John, who's writing this letter, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And then they realized that they had been with Jesus. That change that took place in John was this simple fact. He had been with Jesus, and Jesus doesn't leave people unchanged. His proximity to Jesus changed him. His relationship with Jesus caused him to become a new person. We know that John was the friend of Jesus that became family, right? The adopted son of Mary, more of a brother to Jesus than a friend, the disciple that Jesus loved. These are his qualifications. And then by way of introduction, this changed man, John, gave some reasons why he was writing in the first place that you, the reader, would have fellowship with God and that your joy would be full. These are, there are other reasons listed as well. Uh, we'll come up later in, in, uh, in the book. Chapter 2, verse 1 says that he's writing that you would not sin. And then in, in chapter 5, he says he's writing so that you would know you have eternal life. These are the purposes of this letter. And there are other reasons too that we'll get to when we get to them. Uh, but the first one he mentioned, and the one that, we will, uh, that will prove to be a theme throughout this letter, is fellowship. He's writing so that you would have fellowship with God and his people. And this theme of fellowship is central to John's letter because, as we've already seen, it was central to John's identity. It was central to John's life. Because he had fellowship with Jesus, because he was friends with Jesus, he was changed, forever changed. And one of the changes was this power and authority and boldness that astonished even the leaders of the people. John is speaking, writing actually, with authority, with boldness. And he is writing about things that he knows about firsthand and things that he is qualified to talk about. So he comes, comes into this letter strong saying, I know what I'm talking about, it, about and it is the most important thing ever. It's the word of life. Uh, these are things I've seen. These are things that I've, I've heard for myself. And so what does he want to talk about? about with that kind of backing, with that kind of authority. He wants to talk about who God is. Verse 5, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So there's a pattern that we're going to see in John. Um, there's a sequence. Verses 1 through 4 say, We've witnessed Christ, therefore we have fellowship with him. And now from verse 5, really into the first six verses of chapter 2, which we'll get into next week, we have the next step. We have fellowship with God, therefore we ought to walk in the light. Um, now, 1 John is going to have a whole lot about Christian living and relationships and about the stuff that we would call personal application. Um, but that's not really what John's message is about. Uh, the Bible itself, of course, tells us how to live. It gives us moral teachings. It provides the rules for a life well-lived. But that's not primarily what the Bible is about. It's about God. Okay. It is about declaring the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's Scripture. And the Scripture, while it is for you, I want you to know that. It is for you. It is not primarily about you. 
You aren't the subject, you are the object at, at the least, at best. The first thing John wants to talk about is not the relationships within the church or the things they ought to do, the things they ought to believe, um, you know, or practice. The first thing that John, with all of his apostolic authority, wants to say is simply that God is who he is and nothing else. What he wants to talk about is God. And now it's true that John's message is usually boiled down to this command to love one another. But the basis for that commandment is theological, not moral or legal. The first thing is the first thing. In the beginning, God. Loving one another is second. Even when Jesus tells the man the greatest commandment, loving your neighbor, is second. It's like the first one, but it's still second. You'll notice in the epistles of Paul, the moral and ethical teachings, all the practical stuff about how to do church and how to do family, it's always at the end. Okay, the passages about marriage and family and working hard and what to do with your money and all that kind of stuff, those are in the final chapters of Paul's letters. And often, but not always, the heaviest theology, the stuff about God himself uh, revealed in eternal trinity, all that stuff shows up right out of the gate in the first two chapters. Why? Because our responsibility, all those um, you know, applications, how to live your life, responsibility is exactly that. It's a response. We are responding to things that are true about God. Our knowledge of Him will directly affect how we live for Him or how we don't. Simply put, theology, the study of God, matters and cannot be relegated to the back seat for reasons of practicality. You can't say, I don't know about all that theology stuff. I just want to know how to live. Well, this is how you live. You know God first and foremost. You set your eyes on him and you set your heart to the, the beautiful task of knowing him. That's how you're supposed to live. That is the practical application. Loving your neighbor will be the result of knowing God. Amen. Consider how John... And jumping straight into the theology, God is light in him, there is no darkness. He's getting right to his point. Why did he write the letter? Reason one, that you would have fellowship with the saints and with God. Verse three, you can't have fellowship with a God you don't know. You can't have fellowship with the saints without God either. In chapter two, he, he says he writes these things that you may not sin. Guess what? Knowing the God who is light is the best way to keep you from darkness. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is this word of life that John is declaring. And in knowing him, in hiding him in your heart, he will not only forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, but he, would, he will also keep you from stumbling, as Jude says he is capable of doing. In chapter 5, John will write, I'm writing you these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know how you can have that blessed assurance? By knowing what kind of God God is. If you knew the kind of consistent and overpowering love that he has and that he is, you would never doubt that he has secured your place in heaven. If you know the light of God and see that there is no shadow of turning with him. There's no darkness. You would never have that doubt that you have had in your mind of, well, I think I, we were good a while back, but now I've made some mistakes and God probably has just removed my little game piece in heaven and put it on the outside now. You would never have that thought. You would never have this idea that somehow you had one foot in heaven and now you're going to slip away. 
and slip out. You wouldn't. You would have this assurance if you could see the the quality of the light and the love that God is. If you know the light of God, you would have such confidence in His ability to save your soul completely for all eternity. John knows the first thing he has to talk about is God, and the first thing he wants. To say about God is this: God is light. Now I want you just to see the kind of writer John is here. You remember the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse one: "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He begins his gospel by echoing another bestseller, right? Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in Genesis, what's the first thing that God said? Let there be light. And how does the beginning of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 go? Verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it, depending on the translation. You can see why John says in 1 John, chapter 2, verse 21, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. He's repeating his themes, right? He's not saying new stuff. He's saying the same stuff in a different way. And this idea of light versus darkness will extend uh, into and feature heavily in his final work, the book of Revelation, where at the end in the new kingdom there is no need for the sun because Jesus, the Lamb, is the light. Paul joins John in bearing witness to this truth. He says in, that in God, or he says that God dwells in unapproachable light. In the Old Testament, Daniel writes about God. He says, light dwells with him. And the psalmist sings, he is my light and my salvation. And John isn't inventing metaphors here. He is declaring known biblical truths. So what is it? What does it mean to say that God is light? He's not describing something merely physical, obviously, right? Um, he's describing a spiritual reality that is truer than anything physical. Uh, the physical reality of light tells us something of God's character. Light and darkness opposed to one another are symbols or metaphors that we're familiar with, I'm sure. Good versus evil. This is consistent throughout Scripture, and we already have this pretty well established in our own imaginations. When John says God is light and in him is no darkness, we, I think we get that idea, right? He's saying that God is goodness and in him there is no evil. Um, light speaks of holiness and purity, while darkness represents corruption. In God, there is no corruption. Light, we can see in this passage, speaks of truth and honesty. Walking in the light is walking in full visibility. Darkness is the stuff of lies. Darkness is deceptive. Light speaks of sight and revelation, which leads to understanding. Darkness uh, being deceptive um, is, uh, is about concealing and really ignorance. As C.S. Lewis so carefully and shamelessly plagiarized from G.K. Chesterton, God is the light by which we see all things. Dark, you know, you, you don't look at the sun, but by the sun you see everything that you see. Darkness is not only unseeable, but it makes it, it conceals other things that you ought to, so, to, to know, to see. Light speaks of safety, darkness, of danger. You stub your toe in the dark. You can see where you're going in the light. Light speaks of life. Without sunlight, we have no life on this planet. Things die in the dark. And as John already wrote in John chapter 1, verse 3, in him was life. 
and the life was the light of men. So John is saying God is that kind of light. He is perfection, perfect moral goodness. The Westminster Shorter Catechism gives this answer to the question, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's a great way of saying God is light. Those are, those are the ideas that are carried in this concept of light as opposed to darkness. But don't miss this. In him is no darkness at all. This description of God as light is not a description of degree, but of category. In other words, it's, he's not saying God is the lightest. He is the brightest thing that I can think of right now. And in him, there is the least amount of darkness. That is not the statement of scripture. No, he is saying that God is light and in him there is no darkness. There are two different categories, light and darkness. God is light. You aren't. Um, and as we'll see in verse 7, you can walk in the presence of this light and be changed by this light that has its source outside of you. Yeah. Now, it's possible that John, um, many uh, assume that John was uh, writing these letters in the wake of a heresy uh, known as Gnosticism, which has lots of different shades and branches and styles and denominations, you know, but it was just super, super weird. That's the gist of it. Okay, super weird. Um, and uh, one of the uh, one of the cults that kind of came out of one of the branches of Gnosticism that uh, St. Augustine was a member of before he got saved, he was a member of a cult, some of the best saints were, uh, was called Manichaeism. And this was light versus darkness. And the idea that there's an equal light and then there's an equal darkness and they're always going to be fighting against each other. And they got into astrology and weird stuff like that. And you see the oh, light speaks of like heavenly bodies, things, you know, of that nature. And they spiritualized everything and then negated everything that was spiritual of value. It was very, very confusing and, and, and kind of crazy. Um, John could be just kind of throwing a, a stab at this Gnostic heresy of light versus darkness as two everlasting opposing things. And oh, God, God, God is light. And he's not, he's not God, light, and darkness. He's not like the perfect balance. He's not on a spectrum. He is light. And in him, there is no darkness. This is important to see God in a, a category by himself, not simply as one end of a spectrum of good and evil. There are plenty of people that see reality in this false light. Um, there's good and there's evil and everything is a mix. Everything's kind of a balancing act. It's the, it's the force. You're in Star Wars. There's a light side. There's a dark side. And you're looking for the balance, right? Nope. Uh, God is not yin and yang. He's not light and darkness. He is just light. Goodness. Truth. And as James says, in him there is no variation or shadow of turning. The way this can be described, and the way Francis Schaeffer describes it very well, if you want to read about this from someone a lot smarter than me, is that there's a line. There's a line, and above the line there's God and nothing else. And below the line is everything else. Those are your categories. God is light. And yes, we live in his light and we can walk in his light and we can have fellowship in his light. But the light is with him, as Daniel prayed. A big topic for John is going to be sin. And he's setting it out right here in front. There's no sin with God. 
There's no darkness with him. God doesn't sin, and sin has no place in his presence, not as a matter of degree, but as a matter of category. We have to see God as transcendent, completely above and beyond our realm of existence. This is what makes the incarnation so remarkable. And for so many in the early centuries of Christianity, almost unbelievable, untenable. How could a holy God, who is pure and good, and, and, and truth itself, how could that God possibly become flesh? And we agree with Paul, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. But this distinction between the light of God and the rest of us is important. Again, it's how John began his gospel. The light shone in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome the light. God is different. He is other. Creation and creator are distinct. They're different, unlike pantheism, which will tell you that God is in all of creation and he's just there hiding behind that tree and that rock and stuff like that. Panentheism, which says God is in all of creation equally. Realizing God is light and that we, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, he says, you were darkness. Not in darkness, you were darkness. Again, that's a category. And when we see that God is light and we're the opposite of that, this removes the possibility of finding some sort of, you know, Eastern mystic idea of inner peace or inner light apart from a complete heart transplant. You need a spirit who is light, who is truth, to come into yourself if there's going to be anything resembling an inner peace. The idea that God is light precludes the idea that to find God, you must go within yourself. Nope, it's dark in there. Amen. He's not there, you won't find him. Left to yourself, your darkness and in darkness, and there's no fellowship in the dark. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Fellowship for John is described in terms of walking, and I like this. He likes taking a walk with his friend. And he says, you can't walk with God, who is light, and be in darkness. If it's dark where you're walking, and again, darkness, speaking of compromise, lies, you know, uh, sin, not that isolation that sin brings you to. If, if that's your walk, if that's your life, you can't pretend that you're walking with God. You can't say, oh yeah, I walk with God, I have fellowship with Him. You're only lying to yourself. Now, we talked about the things light and darkness represent. So you can see that walking in darkness is, is walking in sin. It's living in lies. It's a life where your secrets have to be hidden away. John chapter 3, verse 19 says, Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Walking in darkness is living in sin. When you compare this to Paul's statement that I pointed out in Ephesians 5, where he says, You were darkness. We see that walking in darkness is really just walking according to the dictates of your own darkened hearts. It's just doing whatever you think is best. There was no king in Israel in those days, and men did what was right in their own hearts. We know how that story ends. It's living for yourself, doing things your own way without submitting to the light. And the person who is only concerned with their own ways and their own desires, what John will later call the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and the pride of life, 
if that's the way you're living and you say, well, I have fellowship with God, like we're good, we, we're, we're fellowship, you're lying. You're lying. You can't walk in the light and be in darkness. You know why? Because the darkness cannot overcome the light. You're walking in different directions. You've isolated yourself. Now, please remember, 1 John is written to Christians. This isn't to unbelievers, though it could certainly describe unbelievers. Now, if you are a Christian who still struggles with sin, you do. And you know this. You know this. You know that your sin you know, does not cut you off from salvation, but it certainly cuts you off from fellowship, doesn't it? The closeness of God. This is what John is talking about, and he's saying that breach of fellowship is all on you, not him. He's light. There's no darkness in him. In him, there is no darkness. So if you're in darkness, if you're in sin, it's not because God tempted you. James says the same thing. It's not because God led you down this path where you had to compromise and make these, these mistakes. You had to go away from him to be able to find the dark. You had to put something in between you and him to make the shade you're walking in. I believe it's very telling that John says we instead of you. If we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we, we sin, we walk in darkness, we lie. John had lived over 90 years at this point. He's far from the utopian idea of sinless perfection. He probably went through a phase. Who knows? But then, you know, the, that, that was short. He knows he messed up. He knows he sins more now than he did, more than he, he knew about his sins when he was with, uh, with Christ in Galilee. He's lived the things that he's writing about, and he's with the readers, even saying in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. He says, it's impossible for us to see the light of God where no darkness exists, and then come to the conclusion that we are righteous and holy and good. Not without blood, we're not. And he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He, John, whoever, at this point, everyone's like, he's pretty much perfect. Like, John hasn't sinned in decades. Okay, he's pretty much perfect. He said, if I said that, if I said right now as St. John the Apostle, last living witness of the resurrected Christ, if I said that there's no more sin in me because I've just learned my lesson and I follow all the rules, he said, if I said that, I wouldn't have fellowship with him. I'd be lying. I'd be lying against the truth if I said that. Guys, this, this isn't in, in the Bible, but in the 20th century, evangelism existed primarily with what we call the sinner's prayer, right? And it invariably begins with the truth, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. This is the bad news of the good news. God is light. You aren't. You're darkness. You have sin. And if you say you don't, you're just lying to yourself. No one believes that about you. <laughs> and the people who believe their own lies are just the most sad kind of person, don't you think? Yes. John wants better things for the church. He wants better things for the church. He wants them to stop sinning. He, that's why he's writing the letter. He wants them to stop sinning, and it's interesting because the way he leads into that topic that we'll start next week is by telling them that, that one, Jesus forgives sins, and also that all of you are sinners. <laughs> it's like, wow, what? all right, all right, this is a good argument you're making. I, I see your point. 
John wants better things for the church. He's bringing some of these Christians out of their delusion that they could be enjoying the closeness of God and the growth that comes from being connected to the vine and the joy of the Holy Spirit while still walking in darkness. He says, no, this isn't, this isn't the best. This isn't God's best for you. What you're experiencing right now, and you say, I have fellowship with God. Like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Just wait until you confess your sins. Then you'll start to know what fellowship can really look like. He says that's not what fellowship looks like. And remember, he's writing this in part so that Christians could enjoy the fullness of fellowship and the joy of the Lord. And so John includes the good news too, of course. Look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the truth, in holiness, living our lives in the presence of Christ, this gives us closeness to one another. Sin isolates. You know it does. Darkness isolates. Walking in the light has the opposite effect. John says that healthy relationships between Christians are relationships that are Christward, lived in His presence, in the glow of His glory. Relationships that are oriented towards the light of God. This is what John is describing. It's to be near to Jesus Jesus likes to take people who are close to him and then restore their relationships and give them fellowship with each other. We see him do this right after the resurrection, telling the disciples to be together. You know, he tells Peter, minister to your brethren. Um, but then it's interesting because John says next, he says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, usually when we talk about cleansing from sin, we only have one kind of understanding of this. It's like when you get saved and then all your sins done with, done away, it's cleansed, the cross was enough, it was sufficient, you're forgiven. That's it. And that's usually the only time we think about like the blood of Christ cleansing us from all sins. Um, but practically, like our gut knows different. Um, let, let me ex explain this if I can. Um, it sounds backwards at first. What, what John is saying. At first glance, it almost sounds like if you don't get the cleansing of Jesus' blood, or it sounds like you don't get his forgiveness until you straighten up and make everything right with those around you. And then Jesus will forgive you. Now, you know that's not true. That's not what this is saying at all. Remember, it's the issue of fellowship rather than salvation that is primarily being focused on in this passage. And of course, we believe, like John did, that your sins are forgiven once and for all. But we keep sinning, don't we? John says we do. We continue to fall short of the glory of God. In the upper room, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he says, you are clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Same kind of language John uses here. You are clean because of the word that I spoke to you. And then he explains to Peter, if you are clean, then you only need to wash your feet. And then he tells the disciples, go and wash each other's feet. What's going on here? Well, let me ask you this. Is this room full of forgiven people or sinning people? Answer, yes. Okay, yes. Um, you know, we are, we are saints, completely forgiven, completely made whole, absolutely. And we, we need that, that if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We still need to experience that, um, that forgiveness on our walk with Christ. You, yourself, and other Christians are forgiven. You are clean. And 
And you also believe that if anyone says he doesn't have sin, he's lying to himself. So you have to balance these things, don't you? What's this about? I believe in part it is about forgiving others as Christ, God and Christ forgave you, washing each other's feet. It's about putting into practice this prayer. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Walking in the light is being honest about our sins, honest about the sins committed against us, and honest about what God says about both those sins. He says, the blood of Jesus cleanses from sin. Yes, once and for all, you are justified completely. All at once, at the cross, and even before, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. But haven't you gone to him and prayed the Lord's prayer? Forgive us our trespasses. That's not wrong to pray more than once. You know, it's not like you're going to edit that out and be like, well, I believe you have already forgiven me this sin, so I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to bring it up. It's like, no. He desires you to come into his presence and allow him to minister this washing of feet, this cleaning for you. Haven't you gone to him and say, Lord, forgive me for that? You believe he has, and you believe that he is. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Those aren't bad prayers. They're biblical. They're good ones. So we see when we make the change of walking our own way in the dark and instead we say, nope, no more hiding. I'm walking in the truth. I'm walking in holiness because I'm walking with Jesus. And you see that God answers this decision not just by bringing you to himself, but bringing you into his family, giving you fellowship with other saints. You experience the cleansing of the blood of Jesus in real time. Now, obviously, you're, you're experiencing the forgiveness that was a real thing there at the cross. But all the forgiveness that you personally experience is kind of late in the game, right? I mean, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. So it shouldn't be a surprise to you that you've experienced the forgiveness of Christ, yes, at the moment of your soul's salvation. And then every day afterwards, every day you walk in that light, Jesus is cleansing you by his blood. I mean, why does he continue to tell us, do this in remembrance of me? This is the blood of the new covenant. It's like, well, that was just once for all. That was, of course it was. Of course it was once for all. And it's once for all for all of eternity. Now, verse, verse 9 describes this present tense forgiveness. Well, he says, if we confess our sins, he's describing what it looks like to walk in the light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's way too much in this verse. Um, well, there's enough, enough in this verse to hold its own for more than, more than a few sermons. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of start here for next week, too. We'll have a little bit of overlap just around 1 John 1, 9 because uh, it's so important. Um, this verse is usually seen as a come to Jesus verse, right? It's an altar call verse. And it works that way for sure. But I'll remind you again, John is writing to a church. He's writing to believers. Guys, I'm, I'm not just arming you for evangelism. This isn't only a tool to be brought out when you talk to other people. It works for that. That's fine. This is a come to Jesus verse. And we need him every hour. We need Jesus. This is not just a verse that can describe a conversion experience. This is a verse that describes an ongoing relationship with the Lord. It's what John refers to the Christian life uh, like a walk. It's, it's why he calls it a walk and not a stand. 
right? It's dynamic, it's ongoing, it's moving. This is for you, this is for me. This was for John, who again says, we, not you. He says, you know what? You wanna know how to walk in the light? Like, have that unbroken fellowship with Jesus, no shadow of turning with him, where it's you and Jesus on a walk, all day, every day, glowing glory around you. Well, you go to him being really honest about your sins and really trusting about his forgiveness. That's walking a fellowship with God. It's not ignoring the stuff that you don't really want to talk about. It's bringing that up and then allowing him to deal with it. That's walking in fellowship with God. And this is not just a conversion experience. This is Christianity. We, we, we confess. What, what is it to confess? It, it, at its simplest, it's to say the same thing as God. To confess. God says your darkness. You say, yep. <laughs> yes, Lord. Instead of calling good evil and evil good, we align our beliefs with what God says. That's confession. Uh, con confession can be positive or negative. We talk about the confessions uh, of the, the, the creeds. I believe in God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son, things like that. Um, and then there's negative confession, confession of sin, which is what John is talking about here. Confessing sins is calling your sin what it is. It's not just admitting a sin, saying, I did the thing. It's saying, this is what I did, and this thing that I did is a sin. And we don't do this naturally. This will never happen on its own by accident. We talk back. We rationalize. The little defense attorney in our mind comes and tells us it's not so bad. Okay? Confession is when God says something about you and your behavior, and you don't disagree. You don't talk back. You say, yes, Lord. That's exactly who I am. But that's, that's not what we do naturally, is it? We, we have lots of ways to avoid confession. Boy, boy, we're starting with outright denial. I didn't do it. Uh, we, we learned that one as kids, right? Or as the scripture says, we'll, we'll call good evil and evil good. Happy Pride Month. We learn this one as soon as we can talk. Maybe if I lie about my sin, it will go away. Nope, just turns out it doesn't. Still there. It has to be confessed. Or we'll grow up a little bit and maybe opt for a partial confession. We'll confess the action but not the heart condition. Or confess the heart condition in vague terms, like in the sinner's prayer, but hide the specifics away in a dark corner of our hearts. Um, what may be more common than this is the excuse making, the blame shifting, all the way back to Genesis, right? Adam saying, this woman, God, she caused me to sin. I'm not saying you made a mistake, but something for you to think about. You guys, Eve, God, you need to talk and pray. I'll be praying for both of you. I'm just going to, like, <laughs> that's not confession. Uh, explaining away the sin, saying why you were angry and behaved in a reprehensible way isn't the same as confessing the sin you committed when you happened to be angry. It's not the same thing, is it? People are experts at this. We're so good at it. Blame your sin on your personality type or your environment or your upbringing, but don't, don't call that confession. I heard one guy say, yeah, it's my personality type. I took the test. I'm a J-E-R-K. That's the, uh, <laughs> it's just, just who I am. It's just who I am. It's made this way. Yeah. Um, confession is none of those things. Confession is saying what sin is. It, it, it is... It is any lack of conformity to or transgression against the law of God. But there's more too. Sin is what put Christ to death. Because of that, there's no such thing as a small one. 
They are serious. They are deadly. And what's more, a sin is not just a breaking of a law, but of a heart. In Genesis 6, before the flood, it says in Genesis 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And then in the next verse, it says, He was grieved in his heart. Confession is coming to grips with what your sin is and then going to God with that reality. John Stott has said, before we can see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. This is what you will find when you practice this kind of walk in, walking in the light, this kind of confession. You will see, you will find a God who is broken by sin and faithful to remove it. You'll find a faithful God. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This faithfulness is based in his nature. He is light. In him there is no darkness, no variation, no shadow. All those words like variation and shadow speak of an unfaithfulness, a changing nature. God is unchanging, meaning he forgives sins. He never thinks about not doing it. You find a God who is faithful to deal with your sins. Confession doesn't come naturally because we still have the fig leaf syndrome from the garden. We cover up and hide and make excuses because we believe, or our darkness makes us believe, that if God only knew, then he would be very angry and he would not like you anymore. And he would not even want to be around you anymore. And John says that's not what God is like. When you go to him with your sin you will see that none of your sin causes him to hesitate in his love for you. He is faithful to forgive, meaning he'll forgive every time. He's predictably forgiving. You can count on it. You can expect it. You can set your watch to it. Every time sin is confessed in the presence of Christ, he says, I can forgive that. The blood was already shed. It is forgiven. Once more, the forgiveness happened on the cross, but we experience it through confession every time, faithfully, every single time. Amen. He is faithful and just. Uh, his, his faithfulness is surprising to sinners like me um, because when I sin and know that I've sinned, I want to let that brew a little while and ferment. You know, I have to feel bad for it, right? Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then when I finally get the guts up to go talk to God about the stuff in my heart, I want to be able to get through the long list of apologies that I've been rehearsing and, and tell him how bad it really is. Like, no, you don't get it. I'm really, really awful. And he ministers his forgiveness so quickly every time. I almost hesitate to go to him with my sins. Because in my sin, I know better and realize I need to get punished by this more. And he's predictable. It's every time. He says, no, you, if you're going to bring that up, then I'm going to put it away. If you're going to put that on the table, it's going to be off the table as soon as you put it on the table. That's just the way this conversation is going to go. And it's going to go like that every time. And he does this faithfully, predictably, not only because of who he is as a God of light, but because he is just in all his dealings. He is faithful and just. Do not think of God's forgiveness as a shrug or a wink. He is not saying it was no big deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. That was just a little sin. Don't Just don't mention it, okay? I know it's embarrassing for you, but just don't bring it up. No, he knows it's a big deal and that it has to be punished 
Because of Christ's death on the cross, it has been punished. Therefore, his forgiveness of your sins is in line with the perfect justice of God. But wait, there's more. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, I think, again, we can agree that this is, this is a once and for all. We've been justified. Our sins are forgiven. And it's an ongoing process. It's part of the walk. He cleanses you from the guilt of past sins. The feeling of being defiled by the sins that have been committed against you. From the grip the addictive sins have on your mind and flesh. And the delusion that happiness lies anywhere except in his presence. That unrighteousness will be washed off you like dirt off your feet. And Jesus, who washes feet, it's kind of his thing. Jesus, who told, washed John's feet and said, John, you go and do likewise. It's, it, it's like John is, is picturing this ministry of telling the church, he says, this is what you need to, this is how you wash your feet, guys. You go and you confess those sins and he's faithful, he's so faithful, he's so just to forgive those sins. And John is still willing to wash, or sorry, Jesus is still willing to wash the feet of his disciples, through his disciples, through his church. As you walk in the light that is in close proximity to the one who is the source of all light, then he will grant you a fellowship, not only with him, but with his family, with other people who are being cleaned up, who are washing each other's feet as best we know how, who are rejoicing in the faithfulness and justice of God's forgiveness of our sins. It's a good walk to be on. It's a good place to walk. There's plenty of room on the trail. There's plenty of light. There's no darkness there. And to be in the presence of Christ, honest about who you are and believing him about what he says you are and what he says about who he's making you, this is a beautiful place to walk. John writes to the church about God because God is John's favorite thing. But he writes about God because God is light. God, God has illuminated every other part of John's life. He's changed his life. Everything that he does, everything that he thinks, everything that he says is now in the presence of God. And he never, he never had this idea that he had become perfect. Just like Paul says, even I, I haven't attained yet. I'm waiting for death, because that's the only way out of this thing. Yes. He says, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I don't have sin. I don't want to call God a liar. He says, he's pointed out to me my sin. And I, I believe he's capable of pointing out to you your sin. He says, I'm not denying that it's a mess in there. But I also know from experience, because these are the things I've seen. This is what I've touched. This is what I've heard. I know from experience that when I bring that stuff onto the table, God removes it, and then I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been before. That is the invitation that John gives the church. That is the invitation that we have from John chapter 1. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship with one more song. And uh, I'll let you guys go. Jesus, there's nothing better than you. There is no better way to live than living in your presence. God, there's no, there's no better way uh, to get the thing that our heart needs 
than by being in your presence, uh, unburdening our hearts with the sins we know we have. Lord, we confess that we don't think of you like we should. We confess, God, our, our, our sin of, of just apathy. Uh, of our, we confess our sins of doing things our way instead of your way. We're not lying. We, we, know, we know we're full of problems, and, but we also believe you are the solution to every single one of them. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us, minister the blood once shed, once and for all, to us, to cleanse us.